there is a model entrepreneur to fail. If there was a study case, that would be me. Like, I'm a college dropout, I'm minority, I'm female, I was young, we were middle class, I didn't come from a wealthy family, we weren't super connected, my parents don't speak, don't speak English very well. I still, like to this day, have to translate for my mother. Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. I want to welcome this week's guest, Tony Ko, to our show today. Tony came to the U.S. at 13 years old from Korea and got started in business almost immediately. Through working in her family business and having a desire to buy makeup she could afford, she saw a white space in the market for quality cosmetics at drugstore prices. At the young age of 24, Tony was inspired to launch NYX Cosmetics and disrupt the cosmetics industry by providing department store beauty at reasonable prices. 15 years later, NYX became a household name and eventually sold to L'Oreal for a reported half a billion dollars. Although Tony instantly became one of America's richest self-made women, Tony has openly talked about the personal challenges she faced while building the business and life after selling it. Tony lost her sense of self and fell into depression, which made her realize that although money is valuable, it's not the key to happiness. As the natural serial entrepreneur that she is, Tony fell back into her passion of starting businesses where she felt the happiest and most recently returned to the beauty industry with her latest company, Bespoke Beauty Brands. Welcome to the show, Tony. Thank you so much for having me. We're excited that you're with us today, and I'm personally a big fan of what you've built at NYX Cosmetics. I've been using your eyeliner for many years now, which is, I know, one of your best sellers, but I'm really looking forward to going deep into your entrepreneurial journey today. Yeah, I love eyeliners. Can't live without them. Yeah, same here. Well, I would love to start from the beginning because so much of your childhood really helped create who you are today. Your family moved from Korea to the U.S. when you were 13 years old and you barely spoke English. What was your childhood like at that time? Well, it was very difficult, of course, obvious for, you know, obvious reasons, you know. Um, so I was 13 years old, so I was put in seventh grade, um, didn't speak any English. So then the uh, American actually school system, they have this really wonderful um, school system for uh uh, immigrant children. Um, they have this program called ESL, which is English as Second Language. So I was put in uh, ESL class. It's a deep, deep, deep dive into like learning English, like really quick. And um, basically, I did that for I think two and a half years. Um, so instead of going to your normal classes, you'd be going to like these ESL classes and you're like deep immersion English learning. Um, I still can't speak practicing every day. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I did the best that I can, but I think, uh, even like moments like that shaped me to be the person that I am today. It made me a lot more resilient. It made me to be like a chameleon, you know, I could change color at different situation and I learned not to be afraid of the unknown and, uh, I I mean, it was a really difficult moment, but I am very grateful for the for those difficult moments as well. Yeah, you didn't have a typical childhood like a lot of people, but there's so many key lessons that 
you learned growing up. You've also talked a lot about how both your mom and your dad's parenting styles really impacted who you are today as well. Can you share more about that? Oh my gosh, my dad, he's a, um, he's a, he's a, a really strict uh, Asian parent. Obviously, all Asian parents are kind of like, like very strict and um, he raised, I have two older siblings and he used to call his uh, parenting style, the Spartan style. So basically, um, Spartans like in Sparta, only the strong survive is, was their, uh, their, 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 that's how they raise their children. And that, I don't know why 1970s in Korea, he like was going to raise us the Spartan style. So like he didn't give us like medication, uh, even if we were like very sick, unless like we're about to like die. He did not give us any medication because he's like, that's gonna going to kill your immune system. So uh, things like that. And uh, he made us, uh, he used to make us climb up a this rocky cliff, must be like two, three stories high. <laughs> and I'm like, I guess that was part of his training. <laughs> but Here's a, but you know, like, I, I mean, it, if you look at it as a really tough upbringing, it is, but if you also look at it as a tough upbringing in a positive way, it is as well, because, uh, because of that, one thing that I benefit is I have a really high, really amazing uh, immune system. I rarely get sick, uh, which when you're an entrepreneur, your health is your wealth. It really is. Like if you are sick all the time, like you spend a lot of time in hospitals or like in your like home, you must rest. And you know, that takes away from your time from um, investing in your business time-wise. So I'm actually grateful for that too. That's so true. Your health is your wealth. And I don't think we talk enough about taking care of yourself when you're leading a business or going 110% in your life, um, because that can be something you easily forget. And your mom also sounds pretty incredible. She basically moved to the U.S. with you and your family and used all her savings to start her first business, which is really the company that you grew up in as a child. How was your experience working alongside her? Yeah, uh, not just investing all her savings. She took on a debt to uh, start the small business. But um, so, you know, my family background is a little unique is that um, I'm a third generation entrepreneur from both my parents, both my parents side. So both my dad and my, my mom's side. So my grandfather was an entrepreneur. My dad was an entrepreneur and mom's side as well. So uh, we were we were kind of used to that, you know, like instability un, un, because we would be up and down and up and down all the time, especially back in like um, uh, 70s and like 80s in Korea where there was no bankruptcy protection and um, family debt was family debt. Like, so for instance, if my father had a business was not successful and he owed money, then my grandfather was uh, uh, liable for that money. Really? Yeah, like a family debt, your debt is family debt and um, there is no protection. There's just no separation between your uh, family money and your business money, like personal money and business money. Uh, so just things like that. So through like those, uh, some of those experiences, like uh, we, I was kind of used to being up and down, like kind of 
uh, being in the rough waters all the time, kind of. Uh, you know, when we did well, we did really well. And when we did bad, we're like, we did really bad. So, um, yeah. So she, once we, when we, after we moved here, she became a matriarch. And uh, she uh, started this small little cosmetic business, which was, I had no idea, but that was kind of the uh, a prelude to my future career as well. And um, I'm really great. I'm really um, thankful for my mother for, she's taken on a lot of sacrifice. You know, all immigrant parents, they sacrifice for their children. And that's what, that's what she did. Yes, that's very true. My parents are also immigrants and what they've personally sacrificed for their kids is pretty amazing and I feel so grateful. So did your parents have any expectations of you going to college or were you always working within the family business? Yeah, so uh, I went to uh, City College and I was going to transfer, but I ended up dropping out and working in the family business full time because by that time, um, our small little family business became a multiple location. Then we were uh, at a point where we were the distributors now. So we've, you know, our family business has grown to a point where we are now like the wholesaler distributors. Um, and I was managing account uh, for my mom. So I did that for until I was uh, 25. And eventually, I left the family business and decided to start something on my own, build my own future, like paved the pathway to my own future. And the first business that I had started on my own was Nix Cosmetics. And that was uh, me going on like 25 to 26. Long time ago. It's long. <laughs> it's dinosaur time, dinosaur time. Did you always have an itch to start your own thing? Or what was really the turning point where you realized that you wanted to start this company and just go all in with Nix? Yeah, so I'm a really independent person. And uh, um, I the, the initial reason for me leaving the family business is because my mom, my mother, she's like, she's a really strong person too. And, um, she's the matriarch. And I think what it was, is I was getting older. I was coming into my own age and, um, I wanted to computerize the, our business. I wanted to like change things and she just was not having it. So we were getting into like all anybody who's been in the family business experience will tell you this like we were getting into like so many fights and arguments so in it eventually it was like either we stay a family or or like this whole thing is going to blow up so I decided to leave the family business and actually I was actually just going to get a job like all of my friends were doing after you know um then I realized I'm really, I'm really not that nine to five person. Like, uh, it's just not in me. I guess it's the, the entrepreneur gene that I have. I need to create something, like do something on my own. So uh, I, and like around that time, like I had this idea for cosmetics. Obviously I'm a, I'm a, I'm a female. I love cosmetics. I was 20 something. Um, and I really, you know, what I realized was the gap between the high-end brand and then the uh, the budget brand. And then the gap meant, meaning like the quality of the products. Uh, and because 
our family business was in kind of like the beauty supply uh, business. Um, I knew of a manufacturer uh, that made the type of product that I wanted to make. So I ultimately, I said, you know what? Somebody needs to close this gap uh, because cosmetics, that good quality cosmetics, really does not need to be this expensive. Um, so that's when I decided to start. And I just, I, I saw a path right there. So that's when I decided to start my own company. I'm curious, when you finally came to that decision, you wanted to pursue this opportunity. How was that discussion with your mom? Because at the time you were still working alongside her in the business. She was so cool about it. Uh, she's, she's, she's a really cool lady. Um, she was so cool about it. She, uh, I told her my idea and she wrote me, she's the one who gave me the seed money to start the business as well. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story why she had to. Um, but uh, she basically just wrote me a check and said, hey, you know what? Do whatever you want to do. Run the company the way you want to run the company. Even if you fail, uh, don't be afraid to fail. Even if you fail, it, it's better to have that experience when you're young than when you are older. Because I think what she means is when you're older, you have family to take care of. You know, you have children to take care of. You probably have a house mortgage versus when I was in my 20s. There's no house mortgage. There's no children. There's no family. There's nothing. Like basically, it's just me and my myself, me myself and I. So, I, you know, that's what she meant. And the reason that she had to write me that check was because I started working in the family business probably when I was like 15 years old, and that was like my entire after afternoons, uh, after schools, all of my weekends, all of my vacations. We never went on family vacation. We never went anywhere. We worked, we worked and worked and worked. And I worked in the family business and I never got paid from 15 years old to 20, 10 years of free employment that she had. <laughs> and I lived at home. I, you know, <laughs> I had a lot of money. She, uh, she yeah, um, yeah, kind of like in the Asian culture, like daughters, they, at home, live under your parents' roof until you get married. So we kind of had that mentality too. So it was pretty, pretty normal to us. What's, you know, the thing is, what's normal to you may not be normal to other people. What's normal to may not be normal to me. So that was our normal situation. Yeah, for sure. I'm Iranian. And culturally and traditionally, the woman basically stays at home until she's married. So I definitely know those dynamics. It's for sure more uncommon these days, but I get it. So fast forward, you have the seed money from your mom. You end up making in your first year, 4 million in retail sales, which is pretty amazing when you're selling lip liner and eyeliners for about $2 a piece. How in the world did you do it when the team at the time was just yourself? I sold a lot of pencils. Oh my God, that thing was such a hit. Um, so it's $4 million in retail. That means it's about $2 million in wholesale. I was selling these pencils at about uh, anywhere between $0.55 cents to $0.75, cents, right? And... Uh, um, but that was because I wasn't selling one piece to one person. I was, I was, I was, I was a, di I was a distributor to the wholesaler. So each my, my orders were, you know, when I get, got orders, it was for like 
20,000 pieces, 30,000 pieces at one time. So, you know, because the quantities were larger and because the, um, the order was larger and then, you know, the dollar amount was larger as well. And, uh, uh, those pencils there, they just came in like, um, one carton, export carton, uh, each carton, 3,456 pieces. And I used to sell that thing like hot cake, hot cake, hot cake. Um, yeah, it was incredible. It was that time. I couldn't repl replicate that same business model or experience today. Yeah, that was actually one of my questions because the business landscape has changed so much. But what do you think is timeless advice for our listeners today if they're looking to start a business and really take that leap into what they want to do? Timeless, really timeless business model is work hard. Like give it all you got and some more and be diligent at what you do plan out your days and uh, oh very important uh you know when you're a young entrepreneur and you see those dollars start rolling in that's not your money that money is company money don't go live like a rock star put that take that money reinvest 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 because money is so hard to earn but so easy to use so the what i did my the first three years of my business was I never took a dime out, dime out of the business. And I was able to do that because I lived at my parents' house and I wasn't paying rent. I didn't have a family to support. I, you know, so it wasn't just the business. It was just like the whole environment, just everything clicked at, into the right place for me to be able to do what I did. But I did so. And I never took a dime. Um, I was operating out of a small, tiny little a little office, 600 square foot showroom office in the beginning. And then like a, a small 15 square, 15 square, hundred square foot um, office warehouse combination and like sh shitty, could I say shitty? Yeah. Neighborhood off like 7th and San Pedro um, because I wanted to reinvest every single dollar. I knew that it's imperative to build a financially strong company um, so I chose to do a lot of, uh, yeah, I did a lot of, uh, crazy things. Like I, um, I used to haul dollies. I deliver all the merchandise myself. Uh, I used to, uh, I used to do a lot of trade shows and I used to drive to like where the trade shows were like in Las Vegas, you know, it's not, not that long of a drive, but still, you know, like you could just ship your merchandise and cost you maybe $2,000, but I didn't want to spend that $2,000. I could put it in the back of the trunk of my car and drive it over myself. And um, I, you, once you get to the show site, convention show site, uh, you know, you could pay those, uh, those guys at the convention center to move your, it's called a drayage, right? So move your merchandise for you from your car to your booth. But so expensive. It's all unionized and like super expensive. So I didn't want to do that. So and then like if you do not pay them, they used used to make your life miserable. I mean, in Las Vegas, like 105 degrees, and they make you park like a mile away. 
I used to, I was like huffing and like roughing, but I'm like, I'm not paying you $5,000 to move my boxes from point A to point B. So I will walk those miles in high heels. <laughs> high heels. I love it. I, I don't know if I could have pulled that off, but I love hearing stories like this because I think a lot of people hear the word entrepreneur or CEO and they think that it's a very glamorous job. So really getting into the details of what it legitimately it's like building a business from the ground up is always fascinating to me. And it's really not that glamorous sometimes. Yes. For sure, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Like you're like a swan, right? Um, above the surface, you look all graceful and like floating under the water. You're you're pedaling, you're pedaling to stay afloat and to keep moving. It's um, it's it's not easy. I mean, you know, um, it's not easy. It's you know, a lot of physical stress, physical work a lot of mental stress, mental work. So you have to be strong physically. You have to be strong mentally, emotionally, just everything. How did you deal with the difficult moments of entrepreneurship and starting your company? I know you talked a little bit about how your dad made you very mentally strong and that's one of your superpowers. But what advice do you have for women listening today who are building their businesses and you know might be going through a difficult time? Well, I think um, in general, women are mentally incredibly, incredibly strong. I mean, come on. Like, you know, I've said this before, too. You put a man in a six-inch hill and have him deliver a baby. I mean, the only woman can do that, right? Only, only woman can do that. And uh, I think women are just born resilient and strong and we're powerful. And so as long as... Um, what I do notice myself too is, you know, uh, there, I, I notice my hormonal emotion up and down sometimes, and that's just our body. That's just our, our chemical in our body. Right. So I get more, um, I get more, uh, anxiety or like, uh, it's just like around my, you know, the time of the month and, but know when you are more, uh, uh, more shaken in your life, kind of. And the thing is, you can't get those feelings away because it's part of our chemistry. But what you could do is you can plan those moments and then you can have the intention of knowing that it's what's happening to your body and uh, um, control your control your emotion. I mean, I notice it. With me, I, not everybody, not everybody has that so, same hormonal uh, level, but um, I definitely notice that with me. So, uh, for the woman entrepreneur, I think that's very important. For sure, I actually feel like this past year, I've been more tuned in with how I'm feeling and my own hormones. And you know, there'll be some days where I'm feeling a little bit off and not completely on my game. But what I realized is not to think too much about it and not to have a lot of judgment. And when you kind of accept, you know, you might have some off days, then you just feel a little bit more free. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just know what's going on, you know, and acknowledge it. Just acknowledge it. Yeah. So what was it like being a minority female founder running a business in the early 2000s? Um, so here's the thing. So, um, I mean, if... There is a model entrepreneur to fail. 
if there was a study case, that would be me. Like, I'm a college dropout. I'm minority. I'm female. I was young. I didn't come from like you know my. We were middle class. Like we weren't. We didn't come from like wealth. I didn't come from wealthy family. Like wealthy family. We weren't super connected. My parents don't speak don't speak English very well. I still like to this day have to translate for my mother. Um, I was you know like when you're an immigrant child, like seriously, like you are 15 years old and you are translating your ele- electricity bill for your parents. Like life is completely different. Life, as you know, it is completely different. Um, so yeah, with that, and uh, of course, like there have been moments where there was like that kind of like the pretty woman moment, uh, where I went to a trade show and I asked somebody for a quotation of an item, and like this person like literally looked at me and said, "Oh, we don't sell one piece." <laughs> I was like, "This is nothing to me." Um, but yeah, I understand. You know, I don't fit that that mold that this person is used to dealing business in in the in the um, level that I wanted to buy the merchandise. And the level is the quantity of pieces that I wanted to buy the merchandise. Like obviously, you know, I was like twenty something year old, twenty something year old. Yeah. Um, so, you know. I understand. The thing is, just, you know, put your shoes in the other person's, put, not put your shoes in, put your feet in the other person's shoes. Try to understand from their side and why are they responding to me in the way they're doing right now. And don't take it personally. Like, you know, just don't take it personally. Don't let other people's vibe ruin your vibe. Because if you are, if you react to how you, how other person's treating you, you're just letting them suck your energy out of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like you had your eye on the prize and anything that really got in your way, you just didn't really put a lot of attention to and your eye was just on that, the final goal. Yeah. So, you know, what is your goal? What is, what is your goal, right? So when you are, a, a, when you're an entrepreneur, ultimately your goal is to build a successful company. Focus on that and focus on that only. Like have like a, like it's have, oh, having only like a tunnel vision of having that focus. Yeah, that's incredibly important. And I would just want to go back to what you mentioned about you being the worst case study for an entrepreneur if anybody were to look at your upbringing and your life. And I just think that's so incredibly powerful because a lot of the reason why I want to start this podcast is for people to really listen and see women like yourselves who built an empire, you know, despite moving here without knowing English, despite not going to college, despite you or your parents not really having connections in a specific industry. And I just really want people to see you as an example and others who will be on this podcast and just feel inspired and have the confidence that they really could build something big if they wanted to. And it doesn't really matter where you come from unless, you know, you just need that dedication to really work hard to create something. Thank you for that. I, I, you know, I, I do like to share my story because, um, for number one is, you know, seriously, like if I can do it, anybody can like literally seriously, here's that, you know, uh, use me as the, use me as, as the model, like use me as the inspiration, like, you know, uh, seriously, I mean, I would be that, that case study person. Um, and yeah, there's nothing 
that can stop anybody with determination. That's so true. Determination and resilience, regardless of where you came from or your background. Thank you for sharing that with us. So zooming out, I want to go back to Nix. At what point did you realize you wanted to bring on investors to really help you take the company to the next level? Yeah, so I brought the investors. Uh, that was uh, 2009 going on 2010. Um, I had started the company in 1999. So this is almost like 10 years into the business. And uh, um, I, had a, I had a financially very strong company. So I did not need the money. I needed the uh, the intelligence of an investor because I uh, I came to a point where I wanted to launch into like these large retail accounts. Um, I had sorry my dog. I had uh, launched into um, all the accounts that I could I could get into, um, and I really wanted to get into like those uh, uh, large national credit chain. Retail store, like we're talking about CBS and Walgreens, um, and I was like going back and forth between like I was doing different trade shows. I was going back and forth different meetings, and I just I just realized like this takes a little more than having great product. Uh, this takes a little more. Um, sometimes relationship plays a huge factor in business as well. So I did not know, like I did not know where to go next. So my investors were perfect partners because that just exited out of a hair care company that sold into Walgreens and CVS. So they had the right connections to like the right sales reps. Um, and having sales rep, having the sell, right sales rep group to represent your brand is a huge plus plus for your for your brand. So um, I took that opportunity. So I had all the um, my, uh, my my minority share to the investors. I always think it's helpful to hear more about when and why people and companies bring on investors. So I appreciate you sharing that. And it looks like, especially in your case, they really came in with the intention of exiting at some point. And, you know, your team successfully ended up selling to L'Oreal. But in general, I mean, what was that process like for you? Oh, my God, what a uh, what a ride that was. So uh, like 19, uh, 2009, 2010, that's when the investors came in. And, uh, you know, of course, it was very clear that they had a five to seven year timeline exit. And, you know, all the investors, of course, they have an exit exit timeline. Um, and I understood that. And uh, around 2014, so right right before we were hitting the um the five-year mark and the company was just growing so fast and we're doing so amazing um and i had the full team in house like by then i had a hired of course there was a cfo and i had hired a ceo and i you know there was a product development person and um i had a full team so um it was the company was fully operational and, and running without my um, daily presence there um and of course like um i was still going into office every day and I was overseeing like generally overseeing everything every day but I had built the company to the point where we could actually package it and sell it to sell it to uh, whoever the buyer might be um, so you know uh, we started the process at end of 2013 and ended up selling the company by the time I like really really exited meaning by the time the funds hit my bank account was uh, uh, July 30 so it was about um, it was about the whole thing was about nine eight to nine month process i think and oh my god it was like 
such an amazing, exciting time of my life. I feel like that was my, that was my, that was my MBA basically. I've learned so much about my, uh, about business. And the thing is like, you know, like you go through like these, um, these moments, like when I brought in my investors, right. Uh, they do so much due diligence on your company that I actually got to learn so much of my own company. Like for sure, because sometimes you're just so stuck into the day to day. Yeah. A lot of the times, like you're, you're kind of like blinded and you don't see all, you don't see the other stuff. Um, so that was a really, truly, um, amazing experience for me. But like when I was exiting the company as well, I mean, think about how much you do, how much documents you have to prepare, like document after document after document and question after question after question. And they ask you the same question in 20 different ways, just to test whether you are really telling the truth or not. And I, one thing that I learned is actually to be more patient, um, to take a breather and to be more patient. And I learned so much about the company and, it's just, it's such a thrill. It is such a thrill. Amazing experience. Wow. What a journey to really give birth to this company and watch it grow and be around for, you know, over 10 years and really push it through that process of selling. Because I know, you know, when you are looking to sell, it's, as you mentioned, in incredibly involved. The due diligence process is so detailed. So it's great that you kind of learned the power of just being patient because I can only imagine that's what you really needed to tap into during that time. So I'm curious, you know, after you sold, I'm sure your life looked very different. What did that look like without having Nick's in your life? It was just like really weird. So um, I was really, uh, no, I'm still very happy that um, I had exited out of my business uh, and especially the, uh, you know, the company that acquired my, my, my baby is L'Oreal because they're an amazing custodian of brands. So I'm like really happy about that. Um, but I think entrepreneurs like me have like real difficulty because, um, because it is so, you are so part of your company, um, almost like it's your self-identity. And I had the company, I mean, I started the company when I was 26. I sold the company when I was four. I had just turned 41, I think. Um, so that's 15 years of your life. And this is like 15 years of your very important life out of a year. Most of my late majority of my late 20s, all of my 30s and you know heading into the 40s and uh I've known nothing but the company, the brand, the work and out of nowhere all of these things just get pulled out of your rug and you feel like you lose your uh, uh self-identity and I think the most important thing is it's almost like you don't have purpose in your life anymore. And I think it would have been different if I was, if I was uh, married and had children, then uh, that could be that that's another focus. Right. But uh, I wasn't, and I had no children um, and I had nowhere to put my time, attention, focus anymore. And that was just like a really weird, like unreal, like like really unreal feeling to me. Um, and so actually, the uh, when I the day I left 
my company, um, I had a, uh, I, I went home and I like completely crashed. Like I was like this balloon that was overfilled with this like overfilled with helium. Like, and that's like all the excitement and like, you know, all these, everything that comes with selling your company. Right. And then you get paid and then you go home and I popped and I crashed and I think I slept for like 12 hours, like straight. And the next day I walk up and I actually jumped in shower and I was like middle of shampooing my hair. I'm like, wait a minute, I got nowhere to go. And that was just, that was just like really weird for me, really weird. Um, and from that point on, like I kind of went into, like, I kind of had my downward spiral moment of who am I? Why am I here? What is my purpose? Um, and, you know, it's just like one after another one, like one thought leads to another thought. And, um, yeah, I had like, I was like clinically depressed for about six months until I had to find my way out. And this is again, like the moment you realize and you acknowledge that you have this problems how do you get out of it find your well so find your way out and so uh i actually ended up starting another company i appreciate you being so open and vulnerable about the realities of your own experience you know how did you find your way out of such a difficult time well, you know, I think that's a, um, I think that's a, uh, there's no one uniform answer to that for everybody because everybody has a different personality and different way of uh, handling stress and emotions. Uh, for me, I'm a, I'm an extreme introvert actually. So I'm a 99 point introvert. Um, so when I am under stress or when I'm emotionally disturbed, I, I pull back. Uh, I pull back and I need to, I need my own alone time for me to uh, digest. And I, so it's not, I'm, I, I don't, I'm not an exterior person. It's more an interior person. So um, I just spent a lot of uh, uh, alone time and had a lot of conversation with myself. And like you've mentioned, it's very personal, but I appreciate you being open about, you know, how you got through a difficult time and really the next steps that you took in your own life. So switching gears a little bit, I know you've talked about your journey to motherhood in some other interviews. Could you share more about how that experience has been for you? Oh, that's a, uh, <laughs> that's a tough subject. Um, I went, uh, of course, you know, like in my twenties and thirties, uh, I, chose not to have babies because I was so focused on working and I thought um, having children might kind of, I don't know, this may sound really bad, but maybe a distraction for my career path um, to each on their own. Okay. Everybody has, everybody's different. Um, so I chose not to have children. So, you know, after I turned 40, I went through a course like at this, uh, you know, it's after 40 things, your, your things are, your physically things are different. Um, so I went through the, uh, I went through the egg retrieval process and I have frozen, uh, you know, of course I have frozen, uh, my eggs at, I think the first time I did it was at 42. Uh, and so at 42, 
uh, each of your, and I had, I decided to freeze embryos because embryos had higher chance of, of success, success rate. And so I had, I went to a sperm bank and bought some sperm and I, 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 I had uh, uh, some uh, embryo, frozen embryos and I thought, okay, there you go. Like, you know, that's um, insurance. Like each egg has, uh, each embryo has 15% success rate and I have five of those. So I'm like, okay, math wise, this makes sense, right? I will have my children, my child may not be children, but at least a child. Um, so uh, I, it was a couple of years ago, I, um, I was, I decided to, uh, I finally um, got connected with the surrogate because I couldn't physically carry the child myself due to medical conditions. Uh, and uh, um, I was on my way to my my motherhood and uh, things did not turn out so positive. So there was two failed uh, insemination. Um, so that was done. And um, the thing is like, you can't like, you can't dwell and live in your past all the time. You have to just pick up and move on. Um, so then I realize, okay, so then what is my next option? Because here there is, this door is closed. So, and this door is not going to open. So then what's, let me find another door to open. And that was an adoption. So I'm actually adopting a baby and I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be a mother. Wow. That's amazing. I'm so excited for you. Congratulations. And I also want to acknowledge you for you know, sharing your story because I think everybody's path to motherhood is so different and we don't talk enough about it. So, you know, this, this is real and this happens to many women. So thank you again. It's so real. It's so real. Like, um, I, I, if I, if I had a children, um, I don't know where I would be, you know, I may be in a completely different situation. And you know what the thing is, um, I have, some of my my dearest and the best friends who are stay-at-home mothers and I I admire them I ser- I admire them I mean I admire entrepreneurs I admire women uh, women executives who do it all um, I admire my friends who are amazing mothers the amount of dedication and the sacrifice that they put in is as great or even greater than the other option. So again, that is like, that's individual's choice, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So I would love to hear more about what you're up to today. I know after you sold the company, you had a non-compete for five years, I believe, in the beauty space. You couldn't do anything in that industry. What what was your next company? Yeah, so then um, after that, um, I the second company that I had started, um, it was a sunglass business, uh, which I had just exited out of uh, the sunglass business. I think it was earlier this year. It was right before the COVID hit. So um, it, was, it was like sometime uh, end of January. I think it was towards end of January. I exited out of the sunglass business. It wasn't a hugely successful business. Um, uh, I did struggle with that a lot. But along with the struggle, uh, a lot of... Um, uh, 
learning experience and learning moments, learning another another in another form of learning experiences that I had. Um, so can you share a little bit about what you learned? I know you've mentioned it was one of the best experiences in your life and you learned so much. Yeah. Is that uh, first of all, when you start a business, I think there's uh, there's three pillars in business that is like really, really important. Right. So number one is uh, and out of the three two, the most important is you have to know your sales channel. Right. Because it doesn't matter what business you're in. If you're not selling your service or your product or your like uh, your app or like whatever, if you're not selling, you don't have a company. Right. There's no revenue. You don't have a company. You cannot if you cannot pay your your uh, uh, your employees, you don't have a company. Um, so that's number one, very important. And number two is um, you have to know your source of your manufacturing, your product. Uh, right. And then number three is just everything else is the finance, is the operation, is the HR. Da, 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 right. Um, to ha- to have a successful business. It's the best if you know if you know all three. If you're an expert in all of all three, amazing, right? But at least you have to be an expert in two of the three. I only knew one of the three because this was in sunglass business. I like sunglasses. I like to wear sunglasses, and I collect sunglasses. Does not make me an expert in selling sunglasses does not make me an expert in manufacturing sunglasses. So I made a lot of manufacturing mistakes. Um, you know, although I had done business with overseas vendors for many, 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 many years, I thought I could just take that experience and uh, replicate it. Did not happen. Um, I did not know my sales channel. Uh, huge mistake. Uh, huge, like, huge mistake. I, had, I thought I did enough market research clearly i could have done a little more market research right isn't there one company that owns like 80 percent of the sunglasses that are in market so because they own like really all the retail outlet like you you could have you could make your products but you literally have nowhere to sell your products unless it's e-com but you know, e-com is not as easy or uh, cost e- cost efficient to run anymore. And uh, uh, other another thing is opening your own retail outlet. So what I did was okay. So I'm just gonna go and open my own retail outlet. I am not a retail person. I'm a wholesale person. So I did not know how to run, how to operate a retail operation, and I was horrible at it. I was horrible at it. Um, so like. That was a huge learning for me. So whatever industry that you go into, you have to go into, uh, you have to go into industries where you have expert knowledge. In. I mean, super easy to say, right? But because a lot of the times you drink your own Kool-Aid. And so what happened was I drank my own Kool-Aid. I thought I was expert in like, like this and that and that, which clearly I was not. I think the biggest biggest the greatest asset i got from this is i got humble and that's mm. an amazing thing a failure is the best teacher because what humbles you makes you a better person and i think i said this 
many times <laughs> during this interview, but I'm I'm grateful for for that experience for that experience too. Because if I that, maybe this third one, which is the most, may not be successful. I appreciate the fact that you even launched your second business because I know a lot of people think after you've had your first successful business that it's tough to replicate and your attorney was telling you not to do it. So I really appreciate you still giving it a shot and going all in. I, uh, my mom used to say, uh, um, I'm like a hot potato. She doesn't know what to do with me or she doesn't know which way I'm going to bounce or <laughs> she used to call me blue frog. <laughs> this is my life. You know, everybody talk about the, uh, the work-life balance. And, uh, what I realize is, you know, even the meaning of work-life balance is very different to everybody. You know, um, to me, work-life balance is, I feel the most balanced. I feel my life most balanced when I have projects in my hand and um and that project especially like i love uh creating products so like when i'm in an environment when i'm creating products when i'm in an environment when i'm building a company like um i find my my balance in in that environment so that is my so my work-life balance is almost like work work uh and a little bit of the rest um, and again, this may be different from everybody and there's no wrong or right ratio of balance. But I think my, um, for me is like, uh, like 70% work and then maybe 30, 30, uh, 30%, um, the other stuff. That's where I feel more, most grounded and most balanced. So, uh, this, that's just what I'm going to do, you know, uh, is my self-therapy and that is just what I'm going to do so and for me to do that is for me to uh, start businesses so I started the third business yeah tell us more you started the business last year I started oh yeah it is oh my god time flies yeah so my non-compete was uh, after I had um, exited my business uh, I had a five years non-compete so I had a five years of um, like I couldn't be in uh, nail business, skincare business, or color cosmetic business. Um, I couldn't sit on board, advice, or just anything. And that all expired last year, July. Um, that was the five years. So in August, I started a new company. It's called Bespoke Beauty Brands. And basically, um, it's not really a beauty incubator. Uh, it's a little bit it's it's all it's it's a portfolio of beauty brands that I partner with with such as influencers, celebrities, entrepreneurs. Uh, one of my business partner is a um, entrepreneur. Um, another business partner is a fashion designer. Um, but the uh, the first business, the uh, first brand that I had launched with was uh, is so much fun. This brand is called Kimchi Chic, and uh, uh, she's she was a, she's a drag queen. So this is like that really fun self culture, like really um, pink and lavender and mint and like cause so different from what I did before. Yeah, completely different. Um, and uh, she was on RuPaul's Drag Race, and uh, she's an amazing artist. She's an amazing human being. She's an amazing. Um, and uh, we uh, we started a, a 
brand together. So that's Kimchi Chic. And uh, there's a men's skincare line that I'm working on. Um, there's a eyelash line that I'm working on. And there's also a fashion designer brand that I'm working on. And I'm just super excited for all these amazing opportunities. That's so exciting. Congratulations. So it seems like you partner with different entrepreneurs and influencers. Can you share a little bit more on what you're specifically looking for with the people that you partner with? Yeah. So um, each brand has to have a compelling story. And so, um, so for instance, uh, um, Kimchi Chic, that's a drag queen line. I wouldn't do another drag queen line that would compete with what I already have. Right. So uh, what it is, is uh, um, my company, Bespoke Beauty Brand, um, we do uh, all the back end work. So we do the product uh, design uh development, marketing, social media, um, logistics, HR, accounting, financing. On top of that, we finance the brand. Uh, So our um, business partner are the marketing engine of the company. um, And we partner with only the partner who speak the organic brand narrative of the brand that we're doing. It can't be like, so for instance, um, men's uh, skincare line that I'm doing. Um, so my business partner, I have two business, uh, so there's a two business partner, they're best friends. So um, uh, he's a, a tech entrepreneur, um, you know, but here's the thing, like I've always wanted to do a men's line, but if I just started a men's line because I wanted to do a men's line does not make sense. Like, what do I know about men's beauty, right? Um, I don't speak the, I don't, it's not organic. The story, the brand narrative is not organic. So, but my business partner, they are the users of such products. And, you know, especially um, uh, one of the two comes from the, uh, uh, comes from Johnson and Johnson. So he's a, a industry expert. So he, so therefore he speaks that organic brand narrative. Well, I can't wait to hear more. I I saw on your Instagram that you guys had closed a new office space, which was all pink and just seemed so perfect with what you guys are doing at the company. I'm super excited too. A lot of work ahead, but um, yeah, I like a lot of work. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I also feel alive when I work, so I completely get it. So I want to close with one more question that we ask all of our guests. Wealth means so much more than money, and everybody has their own definition of the word. Can you share more about what wealth means to you? Wealth is, it's not what the wealth do to you, it's what you do with your wealth. That's the most important, right? You can, it could either make you very happy, you know, like sometimes they say you cannot buy happiness with money, right? Um. Well, the fact is you can't, you cannot, but it could be a driving force for your happiness. For instance, you could be wealthy and, you know, you could be uh, making donations, uh, doing charitable work that makes you happy, right? That you spend money, you wrote somebody a check, and then that gave you that amazing, um, gratifying feeling. So then maybe you bought yourself happiness. Do you know what I mean? Uh, but it's the uh, it's when people try to get the happiness from uh, uh, physical stuff, 
So that's just very short lived, right? So it's what you do with your um, with your wealth. For me, I really have not changed at all. I live in a larger house, uh, but uh, that's about it. Uh, I still cut my paper towels in half and write like I still use scratch paper because I don't want to waste an entire paper. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I've, I'm just me, but where I spend money is, um, I love experience. So I love to travel. So when I travel, I spare no dollar. I would, I, and I work for this, right? Do you know how many flights I took that I bought the cheapest tickets where I'm squeezed for 14 hour flight in the last row in the middle seat? (laughs) Three stops just to get to like Italy, three, four stops then. I mean, I've, I've, I've earned it. So like when I buy a first class ticket, I'm like, you know what? I deserve it. I've earned this. Um, so that's where I spend my money. But, you know, I'm still like there's a lot of frugal uh, values that I still have. Um, but at the same time, you know, um, I recently donated to uh, help build a school in Madagascar or like, you know, when I do a lot of these like charitable works, like it gives me a lot of joy and happiness. And that's how I see wealth. I think um, it's, I'm a, a capitalist. I am. But I think important i am a um i am a compassionate capitalist and i think if capitalism can come with compassion then it's one of the great things well tony thank you so much for being with us today it was an incredible conversation and i just want to thank you for being so open about your journey so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, go to BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.